Welcome everybody to the Double A Team. My name is Aldo Gandia, and the Double A Team, of course, is uh, a show about Asian Americans and hosted by Asian Americans. Now, I'm not Asian Americans. Stephen Nagishi is. Ken Fang, his usual co-host, is not here today. He's dealing with some migraine issues, and so we hope Ken gets well very quickly. And uh, we'll see him again at our next scheduled episode, which is two weeks from tonight. Stephen, how are you? Doing well, Aldo. How you been? I'm doing great. It's enjoying the beautiful summer weather, uh, sort of late spring, early summer weather here in Chicago. It's been gorgeous the last few days. You know, uh, here in central Ohio, where I am, it's been somewhat similar. You know, the temperature's finally warming up in the uh, 90s. And, uh, you know, thankfully, I'm not out when I'm working. So, you know, but uh, it's been very, very nice. You know, a lot of sun. Obviously, next week, a week from Tonight is the 4th of July weekend, so mm -hmm. there's something to look forward to, at least uh, going forward now. So Indeed. Listen, Stephen, you do all the booking for the show, and you do a sensational job. Why don't you tell our audience who you've booked for tonight? All right. So tonight, uh, we're very, very excited to have uh, Soichi uh, Terada, who is a uh, Boston Celtics uh, reporter with Boston Globe. Um, obviously we all know that the NBA finals, uh, ended a couple of weeks ago and, uh, Boston ended up losing to golden state four to two in a very competitive six games. Um, he covered the, uh, the series, uh, till the very end. So I'm very, very excited to ask him, you know, the, uh, the Celtics season, what was the, the turnaround that led to them getting to the finals when they were you know, floundering at one point during the season. And uh, we'll ask him a lot of uh, basketball questions, uh, not just uh, Celtics, but also Lakers and Bulls uh, as well. And then uh, Dane Mizutani, who is the uh, Minnesota Wild and the Vikings reporter with the uh, Pioneer uh, Tribune, uh, sorry, Pioneer Press, I believe, in uh, Minneapolis. Since, uh, you know, Chicago... Uh, shares the same conference and the division uh, with the uh, the Minnesota sports teams, you know, the Twins, the Vikings, the Wild, and uh, uh, Timberwolves. You know, it is very interesting to see, you know, what his perspective in the uh, Minnesota sports, you know, the Vikings obviously um, play with the Bears. Obviously, they've gone through coaching and the general manager changes, how he sees the Bears and the rest of the NFC North. Uh, the White Sox, obviously, you know, continuing their dysfunctionality, you know, with the uh, Twins, uh, very at the top of the, you know, AL Central, how he sees the White Sox and, uh, you know, and the Timberwolves, you know, obviously making the playoffs for the first time in a while with, uh, you know, Carl Anthony Towns and uh, Anthony Edwards, you know, uh, a second overall pick about a year ago, who was really turning into a great player. And uh, if the Timberwolves are ready to, you know, become a uh, the next great uh, uh, team in the NBA and compete in the competitive uh, West Western Conference. So we're very very excited to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, have both gentlemen. And by the way, they're both apparently know each other very well. So rather than the usual uh, separate interviews, we're very very excited to have both of them simultaneously to talk all these things that I just mentioned. And we'll talk to, and then we will cover other topics like LIV versus PGA. Obviously, uh, PGA is uh, continuing to lose golfers to the LIV. 
new upstart uh, league or a glorified exhibition uh, that has been uh, funded by Saudi Arabia government. And uh, where's the end game in all of this? And we'll also talk about the NFL, uh, Deshaun Watson uh, saga, as well as uh, Daniel Snyder uh, fiasco. Um, we covered about the uh, the commanders last in our last show with uh, AJ Perez from Front Office Sports. Um, Daniel Snyder defying orders and uh, ignoring subpoena from the Congress, and uh, we'll see where it goes. And the uh, well NFL arrogance in uh, both cases. Well, you know, not necessarily sink the league, but you know, where is uh, Roger Goodell's role in all of this? And Will this finally be, you know, where we might see a change in the uh, leadership and so forth? So we're very, very excited. And um, obviously, although you you do a lot of uh, great things for us uh, behind behind the uh, behind the show, so you know, we're very, very thankful for you to uh, jump in and then in, in more than uh, welcome to engage in our conversation if there's anything that you'd like to do. So. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, before we bring in our guests in, in about 10 minutes or so, I was wondering if there are any things in the current uh, world of sports or sports media that you'd like to uh, talk about with the audience. Yeah, you know, again, we'll go back to the Cubs, uh, you know, my favorite team, the Cubs, uh, for a moment. But, uh, you know, they're still very much floundering. Um, I know they took two out of three in St. Louis, which obviously is nothing to sneeze at, but overall the team is still very much floundering. And, you know, Jed Hoyer obviously had an interview with the 670, the score, and also ESPN 1000, which I only caught a glimpse and snippets of it. And I also read the athletic article, uh, basically saying a lot of stuff, but it's basically a lot of empty words and, there's a new um, media group in Chicago that covers sports, the uh, CHGO, uh, which I think a lot of people are familiar with. They do a good job, obviously, do a post-game, pre-game, post-game show uh, whenever the, uh, the both the White Sox and the Cubs uh, afterwards when they are done. Um, I went on there several times to vent about a lot of empty words that uh, some of these uh, – uh, professional sports executives utter, and uh, it was no different with uh, Jed. I think a lot of things that caught me by surprise was the things with regarding the spending money has been a big issue, and what I found out was basically they're they're not quite sure when to spend the money. You know, even if they spend the money next year after what is expected to be a near a hundred loss. And a, a lot of empty stadiums, um, a lot of empty uh, seats in the summertime, you know, then the Cubs will probably finally, you know, maybe forced to do something. But there are no guarantees that this team will still be competitive in 2023, especially when they are expected to trade away Wilson Contreras and now Ian Happ has been pretty much uh, being rumored to be moving at this point. So, the team is being stripped down to a bare minimum. And Jed Hoyer, at this point, every time he speaks, he just basically utters a lot of nonsense and just fuels a lot of anger to the fire, to us Cubs fans. 
And at this point, maybe Hoyer has to remind himself what he has gotten in, himself into. Look, he's been with the organization for a better part of the decade, and obviously he was never really held accountable to a, to a level where Theo Epstein was, who ended up leaving Chicago over the weekend after you know um, spending a lot of time in Chicago building up winners. And obviously a part of the demise leads to his decision in free agency that really costed the Chicago Cubs and their real demise at this point. So, and I get it. Hoyer is a popular punching bag, and 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 he deserves a lot of criticism, without a doubt. And the part of the problem with Jed, Jed Hoyer's comments is that he can't utter the word rebuild. I, I know it's a rebuild. You know, you look at the re, the record right now where the Cubs are. And you cannot tell me with a serious straight face that they're competitive and they're going to compete this year. Even with the addition of uh, Stroman and Suzuki, who are both on the DL right now and have missed a significant amount of time, um, you know, you can't be serious about winning. You know, Tom Ricketts has said that the, the money will be available and uh, they will be competitive in 2022. That has not been the case. Obviously, I don't think they foresee this much injuries on uh, especially in the pitching side which the cubs are continuously tinkering with the rotation and the relieving and with no real results and obviously the trade deadline is uh, fast approaching about a month of, month from now obviously i think it's uh, august 2nd because of the uh, strike a possible strike that pushed the uh, the start of the season so the the month of july will be a real test for chicago uh, cubs and Jed Hoyer. Um, you know, the fans aren't stupid. There's no question about it. The biggest problem with a lot of uh, sports executives, uh, from George McCaskey's uh, usage of uh, verbal uh, attacks of uh, high schoolers who went after Matt Nagy's son, putting in the same sentence with the, the late Jeff Dickerson's son, which I was highly critical when the Bears fired both Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace that night. It sometimes makes you question, you know, the the legitimacy and the relevancy of these executives to a point where they're really detached and detached not only with the fans, but detached with the outside world as well. So I know some people will probably take it and say, well, just listen, it's just it's all about nothing. They're not trained public speakers. And I get that. But it's sometimes hard that a person in charge of the uh, organization as big as the Chicago Cubs cannot eloquently put himself out there and be upfront and honesty. Sometimes it just lingers on. It just adds more fuel to the fire. So this month, this upcoming month in the month of July will be a real test in the patience of the Cubs and also the Jed Hoyer and his uh, a lot of uh, empty rhetoric words. Well, I think I rambled enough about the Cubs for a good chunk of amount of time. So, well, you did a great job, and I got to tell you, um, I, I pretty much agree with everything that you said about Jed Hoyer and 
Chicago Cubs, and I'd, I'd like to throw in my complaint regarding Tom Ricketts. Uh, Tom Ricketts, mm-hmm. to me, has proven that he's an owner that you cannot trust. Um, I always have a, 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 my eyebrow, left eyebrow raises up almost to my hairline, although my hairline is, is receding. <laughs> so it's uh, it's becoming more and more difficult to have the meat. But uh, uh, I will, I always question when the heir of somebody who is a multi-billionaire is given a baseball franchise to play around with. And that's what happened with Tom Ricketts. His father has basically funded the entire operation of building the Chicago Cubs. And so what we have had in, uh, is somebody playing around with daddy's money, and wanted to build a, not only a, a baseball World Series champion, which credit to him, he did, but also ho- nearby hotels and buy up a lot of property and change that whole Wrigleyville area into a money-making machine. And that has not happened. And so you got to wonder now if Daddy has said, you know what, we're going to, uh, 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 I'm going to ask you to stop spending money until you show me that you can start making money consistently. And that's the problem that I have with the Chicago Cubs as they are run as an organization by the Ricketts family. I just do not trust them. Uh, they've uh, engaged in some political activities that uh, have, frankly, made me angry with uh, some of their smear campaigns against a former president of the United States. And the fact that they are owning the Chicago Cubs just makes me much more suspicious of what it is they're doing and how they are doing it with the beloved Chicago Cubs. Um, and I've got good news for you, Stephen. Uh, both of our guests are now signing in. And mm-hmm. so uh, if you are ready, I will let you do the introductions, bringing in Dane and Suishi. Uh, take it away, Stephen. Thank you, Aldo. Uh, we'll touch a little bit more on the Cubs uh, maybe at the end of the show as well. Uh, joining us is Dane Mizutani from the uh, the Pioneer Tribune and Soichi Tarada, the Celtics reporter for the uh, Boston Globe. So, which I think you have yourself on mute a little bit there. Uh, yep, I'm good now. Yep. All right, guys, how you doing? Thank you so much for joining us. You good? Yeah, we're good. I'm good. Yeah. Good. We're really excited to have you guys on. And and, and uh, again, I sent you an email uh, about an hour or so ago. Our co-host Kim Fang from the Awful announcing, unfortunately, could not join us. But uh, you know, we hope to have a great conversation. Uh, with all three of us, and Aldo will join us from time to time if there's any topic that he wants to discuss as well. While he continues to produce us from behind, so I hope you guys will uh, be patient with us throughout the night. So uh, I understand you guys both know each other, correct? <laughs> yeah, we first met when I was doing an internship at the Star Tribune in Minneapolis a few years ago. So oh. that's when we first met. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, wow. we worked at the rival paper, but uh, <laughs> Star Tribune, Pioneer Press. Yes, those are two big <laughs> ma- uh, major newspapers in uh, Minneapolis. For those who are not familiar with, uh, what do you guys remember each other from their uh, you know first imp- uh, impressions? Uh, yeah, we well, we first met through um, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Megan Ryan. She was actually my mentor ah, at the Star yes. Tribune because yeah, I was a, I was at a, I was an intern there, so she kind of took me under her wing. And <laughs> I remember Megan randomly texting me. I was at uh, I was covering MLS at the time, so the Loons, and as I like practice or whatever, Megan was like, "Come to this coffee shop, pavement, I think, or whatever it was." And then Dane was there, and so that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's when we first met, which is already three years ago, which is crazy. Nice, nice. You know, all three of us are uh, obviously uh, the Japanese American. Uh, uh, all three of us, and uh, it's actually pretty cool to uh, you know meet a fellow uh, 
uh, Nikkei or Nisei, whatever you'd like to call ourselves. And, uh, mm. you know, they have a real legitimate conversation, uh, uh, you know, on this uh, platform. Uh, so, Ichi, you're the Celtics reporter. Let's start talking about the uh, the NBA finals that just ended. Obviously, mm. Boston put up a real good fight, uh, just came up short. I know at one point Boston was like 18 and 21, if I remember. There <laughs> yeah. have been like real conversations about should they trade Jalen Brown, break up uh, Brown and, uh, you know, uh, J- Jalen Tatum. Uh, from covering the team, what do you think was the, uh, the turning point uh, uh, that uh, led to their uh, finals appearance? Uh, yeah, number one is just health. I think, you know, you mentioned Jalen. He was injured for pretty much, I forgot, like 10 games of like the first like 30 or however many it was. So just getting healthy. And then you could kind of see the continuity happen with, you know, Ime Udoko is a first year head coach. So obviously there were going to be some bumps and bruises uh, transitioning for Brad. So I think in terms of the turning point though, and the team kind of agrees with this and, and you kind of saw it, it was actually December 31st against the Suns. Like the Suns were obviously a very good team. They just smashed yeah. like the Celtics a few weeks ago in Phoenix. So like that rematch, I was expecting like the Celtics to have nothing pretty much. But they, they, they just came out and smashed the Suns, and that was kind of the turnaround. Um, you know, 18 to 21 obviously sounds good in terms of, like, the comeback and everything. They were 11th in the East. I remember I was actually joking with my B partner, like, hey, maybe I might have to write, like, draft articles about, like, the lottery. Because, you know, <laughs> if the season had ended, like, they would have been in draft or lottery positions. So, but I, I think that was a big thing. And obviously their defense really turned around. They were the number one defense in the league by the end of the season. But they were top 10 offense, too, by the end of it. And, and I think you can kind of look at the growth of guys like Jalen and Jason. Jason especially impressed me throughout the year just because, like, nobody was really sure if he could be, like, a playmaking kind of guy. But you saw in the finals, like, he struggled. But throughout the playoffs, like, sure. They put the ball in his hands a lot, and, and that was kind of a game-changer for them. So between all those factors, and I think there was a lot of cultural buy-in, right, with Ime, especially, like, the funny stories you hear about Ime is him basically being like, hey, stop getting punked, stop playing, you know, like, like just horribly during huddles and stuff, and the team would respond to that. And <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, you know, they're making a run to the finals, which I don't think anybody expected, you know. You, you, you hear ownership speak, you hear Brad speak, you, you hear the team speak, like, I don't think anybody expected it, but obviously, you know, two wins away from an NBA title, like anybody will take that. And the core of the team is pretty much set. So, uh, you know, it's, it would not be crazy at all to see them, you know, kind of dominate the East the next three, four years. Sure, sure. I remember watching the finals. And, Dan, you could also chime in on this. I remember, was that game five during the uh, – toward the end when Jordan Poole made that uh, ridiculous uh, three-pointer at the buzzer? Mm-hmm. I yeah, thought was that was actually, like the, uh, yeah. actually, I thought that was like the turning point of the uh, the actual finals, which <laughs> I remember, you know, as 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 good of an effort, you know, Boston put up, you know, they were jacking up a lot of threes and and, you know, obviously trying to catch up with uh, Golden State in that series. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what what were you thinking as, as you were watching that series, you know, last two games? And was that like. Where, where it got kind of lost in all of this? Uh, yeah, I think a little bit. Um, it was just kind of weird watching game five and six because up to, you know, before game five, like, the Celtics hadn't lost back-to-back games the entire playoffs. Like, whenever they needed to win, they did it. And it was just kind of like – it was a little jarring to see them watch or watch them lose three straight games right. after they went up 2-1. But, yeah, I think that Jordan Poole buzzer beater was maybe like a low-key moment. Um, I think they were up 72-71. And then the Celtics were up 72-71. Um, after a great third quarter, like, 
you know, if you remember the first half of game five, like they looked horrible. So that was kind of a big thing. Um, I think I remember asking Al Horford about it after the game being like, was that a turning point for you guys? And he kind of toned it down. But I, you know, I would agree with you that that was a huge momentum booster. So um, that, that's a good way to pinpoint it. You know, the Celtics look horrible in the fourth in, the, in game five. And then, you know, they go on to lose. So, but the number thing for me for what was just watching them lose three straight games, like that hadn't happened since I wanted to, like sometime in January, December, you know, I forgot the stat off the top of my head, but that, that was, that was probably the most jarring part about the finals. Definitely right. felt like they wore down too, right? Like it was, yeah. they obviously blew through Brooklyn, but then to have two seven game series back to back against Giannis and the Bucks, and then yeah. go play Jimmy in, in the heat. Um, Golden State was kind of coasting through the first three rounds and then kind of see fatigue kind of wear, wear them out at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's probably that's why I'm so interested in what the Celtics do this offseason, just because like like they have good depth pieces like Grant Williams is good, Peyton Pritchard is good for what he is, like Derek White should fundamentally, you know, he was he's he's good for what he is too, but it's just they needed just more playmaking just because, you know, we, we saw this a lot in game six when Marcus had some foul trouble. Like it just, you know, like the like the playmaking just wasn't there consistently enough for the Celtics, especially once once he got it out of Jason's hands. So I think they're probably going to add another point guard, especially on other playmaking. You know, Brad mentioned this at his uh, exit interview, kind of like they need more playmaking off the bench. And I think you you kind of, you know, as Dane mentioned, like you need, you just need another option to bring up the ball, you know, just because they look so tired by the end of it. You know, back-to-back seven-game series where they win, they were getting kind of lucky there. And it, just, it was just too much even for, like, Jason Tatum's 24 years old. Like, you know, like he's not an old guy by any means, but, like, that's just too much on his plate. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I was watching the game and Al Horford at one point was making so many three-pointers. Obviously, he looked like he had a fountain of youth moment there, but the rest of the team was just basically jacking up threes like there's no tomorrow and obviously wasn't as good as the Golden State was. So, but, you know, obviously Boston is a you know, team to be reckoned with. You know, they still have multiple first-round picks from that uh, crazy trade they, uh, you know, they made with the Brooklyn and others uh, probably from a few years ago. And I want to kind of uh, touch about uh, Kyrie, you know, who earlier just tonight decided to opt in uh, back uh, for another year, 37 and a half million, I believe, or 36 and a half, mm-hmm. uh, depending on where it was. You know, he will be back with, uh, you know, Brooklyn for another year. We, did you cover uh, Kyrie? When you when he was with Boston, <laughs> Thank, thankfully no, I was still in, I was I was not here yet. <laughs> oh okay okay, so you then have to deal with his uh, crazy antics and all that nonsense stuff about the vaccination and all that stuff then. Yeah, and then it was funny though because like the last obviously the last two playoffs the Celtics faced him in the first round and and sometimes like the beat joked like the Celtics beat joked that we kind of morphed into a Kyrie beat for a mm-hmm. little bit just because. He, you know, it was kind of like, honestly, like Draymond in the finals, but like there are, there are certain players who just literally everything they do just garners so much attention and Kyrie mm-hmm. is one of those guys. So yeah. for better or for worse, like it's good, for <laughs> media, good for media attention, but you know, actually doing and covering and writing about all that stuff. Is, uh, uh-huh. It gets, it gets real messy real quick for sure. Mm-hmm. Does this mean that uh, KD will be back for another year or do you think he's, uh, it seems so, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All the reports are basically like if Kyrie leaves, then KD might. So I guess they're both staying now, which uh, should make the East a little more, bit more interesting less, next year. Feels like it's kind of, kind of do or die for the Nets now, right? Like they get one more year of Kyrie, right? They're gonna enter as title favorites or 
one of the top tier title favorites. And if they win, they'll run it back mm. again. If they lose, Absolutely. blow it up for real. So right. yeah. Hy- hy- yeah. Hypothetically, they should be healthier. Like, like a full, like a fully healthy Brooklyn squad is still pretty interesting. Like Ben Simmons and Joe Harris included, but obviously you just never know what those guys are yeah. from the guarantee. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. The Ben Simmons is actually a big, uh, uh, you know, a huge question mark right now. You know, he didn't play at all. Obviously it was well documented about his, uh, mental health and now it turned out that he has to have a back surgery and needs to have a re- rehab that uh, I don't know if he's going to be ready by the uh, start of the season obviously so you know Brooklyn's a huge wild card if if Ben Simmons's head is in the right place then I think that team will be really really good but if Ben Simmons is still like a diva on and off the court uh, then that's obviously a big problem uh, for the uh, Brooklyn right now um, since we're in Chicago, obviously, I want to ask uh, both of you guys uh, about the Bulls. You know, they finally made the playoffs for the first time in a while. Uh, you know, totally new uh, front office. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why are they laughing as soon as you mention the Chicago Bulls? That's my first question. <laughs> I, I grew up in Aurora, Illinois. So I'm a, I was a Bulls oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm from Michigan, Aurora, so I was laughing at the Bulls. Wow, nice. I, I was laughing Yeah, we're Midwest. <laughs> I was, yeah. We, we're all Midwest folks here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So what are your honest thoughts about the Bulls uh, this past year? They really started off like a gangbuster. You know, DeMar DeRozan was like an, a legit MVP candidate. Yeah. They fizzled really badly uh, in March, April. You know, they they were constantly getting blown up by double digits. And, and, and even in the playoffs, you know, they were blo- all of the losses against Milwaukee were pretty much like 15, 20 points range. They never really won anything against uh, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Boston, and, uh, you know, Milwaukee. I think they were like 0-18 or something like that. What are your honest thoughts about the Bulls this past year? And, you know, wh- where, where do you see the Bulls needing to do to get back to the uh, being a legitimate contender? I grew up in Illinois cheering for the Bulls. Uh, I'm 30, <laughs> so, like, I was in the latter half of the Jordan years. Don't really remember them. I've started <laughs> following the Bulls like when they, the Tim Floyd era, terrible, awful, like decrepit, yeah. and like started coming up watching when when D when D Rose pop. That was when, you know, I kind of saw them, you know, be relevant. See how much Chicago could take that team under their wing if 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 they're relevant. So about last season, the thing I noticed the most is like they finally got back to at least a respectability. Yeah, where they're not just this pushover team every time they step on the court. Yeah. I think that's important. I think you have to establish like winning culture at some point. You can't just it's so easy in the NBA to be like, okay, we're not gonna win a title, let's be bad. Let's 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 tank, let's get the best. Yes. But like it just doesn't work like that. You know, there there's different, you know, ebbs and flows of a franchise. And if you just are consistently terrible, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago, but now I live in Minnesota. The Timberwolves are a good example. Like mm-hmm. that losing nature kind of just like spirals and, and it can snowball. So I think last season with the Bulls, like at least coming back and being a relevant franchise in the East was a good step in the right direction. Now, I don't know if that core can win a title. Like mm-hmm. I think you kind of got to make a splash move. I've seen them tied and attached to Rudy Gobert. Sure. I hate that trade because I don't, I'm not a huge Gobert guy, but like yeah, me neither. <laughs> I would understand the idea of taking a swing because I think with Levine, you know, probably coming back, DeRozan probably not going to catch lightning in a bottle again. But 
you know, there's pieces there to be competitive and you just need to upgrade certain parts of the roster. Um, but the East is a beast. Like you got to beat Giannis. You got to beat, you know, Suichi covers Boston and, and, and Tatum and Brown. They're not going anywhere. We just talked about Durant and, and, and Kyrie. Like do the bulls have a core that can really compete with those guys? Like probably not, but yeah. an upgrade and then get some injury luck, you know, maybe in the playoffs, they can win a couple series. And then next thing you know, maybe they're like a Celtics where, things break in their favor but as as constructed right now like i don't think they're they're a title contender by any means yeah like their roster is just so yeah i just wanted to add like their roster is just like obviously it was a feel-good story like demar had those back-to-back game winners like that was cool you know like i like i grew up on the d-rose times like i was a huge d-rose fan during his MVP and everything but like i just look at the roster like i pulled it up and i'm like what what do you kind of like you can see why they, you know, they were a consistent playoff contender when they were healthy. But like, what are you gonna do with like Vucevic and like, you know, he's not getting any older. Like, you got to do something with Levine. Like, I like Io a lot. I thought he would be good, but like, Demar just had a career year and he's getting up there in age. So it's just like, you you can see like, you know, like the excitement. Obviously, you could tell. You know, like my Bulls friends, like, um, like they were thrilled with this year. But like, what are you gonna do from here? And I guess that's kind of the big question mark. And I, I honestly don't know. Like, I think you know, this current core is like their peak is kind of last year, you know, maybe they could have made a second round, but it's just like a little, little strange. I would say, you know, like, I don't know where you would go from here. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, if Vucevic was, you know, a little more decent, especially on the, uh, the board, you know, the defensive side. And I know he jacks Mm -hmm. up a lot of threes in, which obviously draws a lot of ire of the, uh, the Chicago Bulls fans, but uh (sighs) I don't know. You know, I, I'm very curious to see what, uh, you know, the the new uh, front office does, you know, with the free agency starting next week. There aren't, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, big free agents, you know, out there, maybe some restricted free agents who might be signing offer sheets. But, you know, we'll see. Obviously, Kyrie's, uh, you know, Brooklyn. So, you know, we're definitely interested in that one. Um, the NBA draft was last week, obviously, and uh, I wanted to uh, follow your guys' uh, perspective. Uh, um, obviously, the Bulls draft as well as the others. Who did well and uh, who didn't do well, in your opinion? Uh, so, Richie, let's start with you. Uh, you know, I'm from I'm from Michigan, so I might be a little biased, but I thought the Pistons had a great <laughs> draft. Yeah, I agree. I thought the Pistons did like, very, very well. I don't. I'm not like the biggest Jaden Ivy fan, personally speaking, but like obviously this dude looks a part of an NBA player and like. You know, trading with the Knicks and everything and getting Jalen Duran and everything. Like, I thought they had a really good draft. And that's after, you know, a couple, obviously, I mean, you hit a, it looks like you had a home run with Cade last year. So I think you you look pretty, you feel pretty good about there. I think you feel good if you're OKC. Um, mm-hmm. I, th- I thought, you know, I thought Paolo was number one personally. So I thought Orlando made the good choice. But you look at Houston, like all the top guys, you know, aside from Sacramento, but like that's kind of a given at this point, right? Like mm-hmm. you pick Marvin Bagley over Luka Doncic. So I think, uh, but yeah, I think the Pistons had a really good draft. And, and I don't know about the losers off the top of my head, just because like, you know, I guess we don't see how these guys will pan out. But <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I look at the Pistons number one and I'm like, they could be nasty in like three years, you know, and a lot mm-hmm. of my Pistons fans would be very happy about that. It's been a, <laughs> it's been a lean, very like 15 years in Detroit. In the terms of oh basketball. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but I think they're finally maybe, you know, turning the corner with uh, Kate Cunningham and now Jaden Ivey in the back, back court. Um, Dane, who, who, what were your th- overall thoughts on the uh, NBA draft uh, last week? Well, I'm in a group chat with Suichi, so we always talking about basketball and just whatever <laughs> life. But every single like pick that the Pistons made, I 
you know, did the eyeballs emoji. Like the Pistons did well in that draft. Mm -hmm. I'm a bigger Jaden guy than Jaden Ivy guy than, than Suichi is. I think he can ball. And I think like those two in the backcourt, like you don't necessarily need like one point guard when, when you got two guys that can go get to get buckets. And I really like, you know, Jalen Durant's too. So it's just like, I think between those two and anytime you can trade with the Knicks, I think it's a good, good idea. <laughs> Like Sacramento, like if you can yeah. pick your Sacramento, you know you're probably going to get a good player. Um, that leads to the losers, like the Knicks. They lost a draft. Like you attack, like they did all this wheeling and dealing to get rid of Kemba, and I mm -hmm. think in the end they got like one or two draft picks out of it. One of which is like 2025, like Milwaukee Bucks pick. Like Milwaukee's not going anywhere in two years. They're, that, that pick's not going to be a lottery pick I'm, unless Giannis like. You know, blows a knee in 24 like right i don't know what the knicks are trying to accomplish except for moving cap space around to go what sign jalen brunson like i right. I, I don't get it like I don't so get it they're probably the losers to me but yeah pistons definitely um you know stand out um i think they're a really fun team i think you can kind of see you know different iterations of like teams that have been terrible for so long but eventually the draft capital catches up mm -hmm. um, they had they missed on a lot of you know, picks and but getting Cade and now Jaden, if he's what you think he is, um, there's some excitement there. So I'll, I'll probably lean there. Um, I cover the Tim or you know, I'm in Minnesota, so follow the Timberwolves. You know, I'll be at their rookie press conference tomorrow. The the Walker Kessler pick was a little head scratcher for me. Like, I don't mm -hmm. know if I like drafting a big man who is probably going to be unplayable in the playoffs, like so. You know, that's just kind of the Minnesota tangent in me. Um, I'll probably analyze that a little more than like the average fan, just because I'm right. Sure, sure. So, but yeah, Pistons stand out for sure as, as the winners to me. Yeah, Pistons are really set up for pretty good the next couple of years. You know, the Bulls will obviously, you know, had a real, real good battle rivalry with the Pistons back in the late '80s, early '90s. So hopefully, it will be a very competitive, uh, you know. Uh, game between the uh, the Bulls and the Pistons for coming years. So obviously Bulls have to do their part, you know, signing, you know, Zach Levine, whatever the uh, contract that is expected to be, probably close to Supermax maybe, even though with his injury history. And uh, hopefully Patrick Williams, you know, he's a big, big question mark, but he's got a load of talent. You know, he's still what, 20 years old, you know, came out, uh, you know, after one year at the Florida State. So hopefully if he's healthy enough and, uh, you know, if his offensive game blossoms, hopefully the, the Bulls will be in good position for years to come. I want to touch about the uh, the Timberwolves. You know, you're, you're going – you said you're going there tomorrow. Yeah, they got their um, rookie press conference. So, um, Obviously, they uh, they had a real good com competitive series with uh, the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round. Um, you know, the Timberwolves obviously were – really really down for quite some time you know ever since uh you know kg got traded away you know the ownership issue were uh, you know there were a lot of ownership issues with glenn taylor uh you know being uh you know racist you know making a lot of controversial comments and then having beef with the kg and all that stuff and you know the new ownership led by a rod Actually, there were rumors that, uh, you know, he might be looking to move uh, the Timberwolves to Vegas or something like that. I want to know this past year, did that kind of, uh, you know, put more interest back in the Timberwolves? And, and are those talks kind of uh, gone away? 
for some for time now? Yeah, I'd be pretty surprised if they moved at this point. I think if the NBA is going to Vegas or Seattle, like everyone knows, A Rod Seattle ties. Like I think it's going to be be an expansion. Like I, I would find it very very hard to believe that, you know. One, they've, they've, they've kept reiterating, like, we're here to stay, we're here to stay. And I know Seattle's heard that. Like, they lost their franchise to OKC, like, where sure. it not really mean a lot. But I would be pretty shocked if, if the Timberwolves were to, at any point in the future, relocate. Um, I think having an ownership group, you know, you mentioned A-Rod and, and Mark Laurie, you know, his business partner. I think that helps them be a little more relevant, you know, a little more, you know, Per the times, I guess, like you just kind of felt like Glenn Taylor was a little out of it, you know, you know, sometimes in outer space, like with how to own the team and sometimes too involved, sometimes not involved enough, not willing to spend A-Rod and Lori give them some street cred. And I think at the end of the day, when you have a superstar, like in the making, like Anthony Edwards, like he's going to start making you money. You're going to start making the playoffs. Like there's going to be a buzz in the city. And um, I don't think you're leaving that. So, uh, like, I've always kind of thought, like, if the NBA was going to, like, add teams, it would be via expansion now. I cover the NHL, like, for, like, my, you know, the lion's share of my job, you know, covering the Minnesota Wild. And there's just so much money in expansion. The expansion fees are crazy. These teams can make so much money. Exactly. The sharing that, like, it makes too much sense in the NBA. Um you know, it, I'd be interested. I, th- I think the NBA can ha- handle expansion too, with like the talent level that that exists in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'd be shocked if if the Timberwolves were were a part of relocation at any point. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, Carl uh, Anthony Towns is still there, and he and uh, you know Anthony Edwards obviously are hopefully you know will are there in the long run, and uh, obviously uh, challenge Golden State and the. Uh, you know, the others in the, uh, the Western conference to, uh, you know, push the, uh, golden States of the world and then hopefully make a meaningful run in the playoffs. Um, I want to close out the NBA by asking this question about the golden state warriors. Um, obviously talks of dynasty has been kind of thrown around rather casually nowadays. Are they like a bulls type, maybe the Lakers type Celtics type, uh, you know, dynasty in your opinion or is that uh eh, in your opinion <laughs> i think they and i talked about this i mean are they not a dynasty like what you know like happy. they got yeah. four of them. yeah they got four of them and i you know dane just mentioned this but like the talent of the league right now is obviously you're gonna get it's just gonna go keep going up and up in terms of like the average player today would smoke the average player like 30 years ago and it's just in terms of relocation talks like you know the fact that they did it now is just so rare i think and obviously like there are certain factors like they got lucky because kd you know they had a max slot during when the salary got spiked all that kind of stuff but sure like like it's it's very hard to win a t- title and everything and you know i cover the celtics so, like boston fans are gonna mad at me but like let's not act like you know a dynasty you know 50 years ago 60 years ago was was quite the same in terms of like the number of teams right like not to take anything away from bill russell and those guys but like sure. there are 30 franchises like the salary cap is what it is like you need, you know, so many factors to go correct. You need, you need to be lucky in so many ways. And then the fact that they were able to do that four different times, you know, with these core players, but also a lot of, you know, complementary pieces, you know. If they're not a dynasty, I don't know what we're calling dynasties, I guess. Like, that's <laughs> to answer your question, really. Like, they've just been so good for so long and, and did it. And, you know, like, Steph transformed the game. So you kind of have that going for you. Like, 
you know, Draymond's what he is, Clay is what he is. Like, they're just their dynasty. And if you don't agree, then I guess they're no longer dynasties, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, I think they were a dynasty even before this title. Like, mm-hmm. you got three of them in four years. Sure, sure, I know sure. the KD rings, like, they don't matter less. Like, maybe people thought they were unfair or whatever, 16 1 in the playoffs. Like, right. that was the greatest team of all time. Like, we can talk whatever, but like, there would never be a team that's more dominant than 16 1 in the playoffs. Um, and to watch them do it, you know, the rise and fall of the Warriors over the past like eight years has been really, really interesting. How they went from this like upstart, like really fun team to like the super villains of the league, and then like <laughs> fell off a cliff, supposed to be dead. And I think they became like once again pretty endearing in this playoffs, like watching them do it without Kevin Durant. Sure. So I think, yeah, definitely no doubt about it, Dynasty. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we'll, we'll see a team dominate the league with the consistency at which Golden State dominated over the last decade sure. uh, anytime soon. Absolutely. Before you move off the NBA, uh, Cliff Victoria had a question. Uh, who's the college superstar you think will lead the league when he gets there? Any young players in that pipeline, uh, e- even going to the high school level that you guys have – heard about, maybe covered, that you uh, want to advise us, keep an eye on this young guy because he could uh, be the next LeBron or Michael Jordan or and fill in your superstar. Victor Wembayama is going to be a beast. Like he's, he's <laughs> going number one next year. Um, yeah, French like Ford, yes. Fr- guy from France, yes, absolutely. Yeah, he's the best prospect. I think people are saying since LeBron. I think we hear that all the time. Like Again, I, I, I live in Minnesota. I covered Andrew Wiggins. He was supposed to be the next LeBron, but like – Victor Wembyana, he's different. Um, honestly, don't know many college superstars right now because I think in this day and age where you have to, you know, go back to college or you can go to the G League, you know, via that route, most of the, the high end talent is still in high school and, and, and <laughs> really close. Yeah. So, but that dude is definitely, you can go put $100 on it in Vegas right now. I think he'd probably win like 10 bucks. Like, I know he's an overwhelming favorite wow. to go number one next year. Wembenyama, right? Yeah. Okay. I've heard his name, and uh, obviously, you know, Francis has uh, cre- uh, produced its share of uh, great uh, basketball players. Obviously, we all know France for being a great uh, soccer nation, having won the uh, World Cup uh, four years ago as well. Uh, before, you know, we end the NBA talk, um, you know, I will talk about Golden State. They're set up pretty well, obviously. They drafted Moses Moody, James Wiseman, and, and – uh, uh, Jonathan Kaminga, Kaminga. Obviously, they're very, very young, and obviously, those three guys will eventually start to make. A, and then, of course, Jordan Poole. I forgot to mention. You know, all those guys will still probably play a, a significant role uh, in the coming years. And um, uh, you know, the NBA draft. You know, we had two Asian players who were in it: uh, Kai Soto who, and uh, Davidson's uh, Hyung Jun Lee, who both went undrafted. Obviously, it's it's a um, you know, I thought that at least Kai Soto would have been drafted in the second round because of his height. Uh, unfortunately, that was not the case. So uh, hopefully, uh, you know, those two uh, Asian players will uh, uh, you know participate in the uh, G League uh, in the coming years, uh, the, at least in this upcoming year, and then hopefully some team will uh, take a chance on them. All right, uh, let's uh, go to another topic of discussion. Um, you know, the NFL, 
Uh, Dane, obviously you cover the Vikings, uh, <laughs> the Chicago network. We talk a lot about the Bears in particular. Um, you know, one thing we have in common is that, that we both fired their head coach and general managers this offseason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, we both started a new. Uh, we have Ryan Poles, the new GM. I know the Vikings also interviewed uh, Ryan Poles, and I know some of the, you know, the talk show people up in Minneapolis were very, very salty for Poles picking the Bears over the uh, the Vikings, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, can you give us a, a brief overview of the, uh, the this upcoming season? regarding the Vikings and how you see the Bears and the rest of the NFC? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think the Vikings and the Bears, like, they're already attached at the hip just because of the NFC North. But, like, yeah. because of, you know, Ryan Paul is going to Chicago, Kwesi Adolfo-Mensa going to Minnesota, obviously. I think they're going to be kind of analyzed on the same timeline moving forward, who's doing a better job at this point in time. We'll see. The, the Vikings are ahead of the Bears right now. Like, I think there's no doubt about that. Like, Justin yeah. Fields is an exciting player. I think there's obviously pieces in Chicago that are exciting. The Vikings are ready to be a playoff, you know. They're not a Super Bowl contender to me because I'm not a Kirk Cousins guy. I just don't believe yeah. in the Super Bowl. But there's no reason. This team, there's no reason this team can't make the playoffs next year. There's yeah. talent you know, bursting, you know, out the doors of that locker room. You got, obviously, Justin Jefferson might establish himself as the best receiver in the league. Some people already think he is. Um, with Adam Thielen, that duo, Dalvin Cook, Irv Smith in the, as a tight end, that, you know, he's kind of a flyer. You don't really know a lot about him. Yeah. He's a guy who, who can perform at a high level. Mm -hmm. There's so many pieces around Kirk Cousins. As long as Kirk Cousins can – you know, manage the game and, and make the throws that he needs to make and, you know, avoid the disastrous debacle throws that he, that, you know, tend to kind of haunt him late in games. Um, I, I don't see how this team isn't a playoff team next year. Right. I'll so. give Kirk a little credit. Like he, he's good. Like he's a good quarterback. Yeah. I, I don't know if he is top 10. No. Right. For his money that you pay him. Yeah, and the amount of money that he takes into your, you know, the amount of percentage of the salary cap that that exists in Kirk Cousins' contract, I don't think he performs up to that level. But like objectively, he can throw the football around. He's accurate. He has a pretty big arm, and he can you know navigate an offense. He he tightens up in in in, in pressure packed situations. Um, but you know, the most interesting thing about the Vikings is their defense. Like is are they were terrible? You know, bottom five defense last year. Right, complete wholesale changes moving from a four three to a three four this year. Um, Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith now playing kind of the stand up rush linebackers. The Vikings didn't have a pass rush last year. That's why their defense was so bad. Mm -hmm. rush, as we've seen time and time again right. in the league, can be like the difference maker. Even if your defense all across the board is bad, if you have a pass rush, you're going to be okay. Sure. Um, to watch those two kind of rush off the ends this year will be interesting. Um, I think the defense will be improved just simply because of health, as long as they can stay healthy. Um, and I think that offense is packed and ready to go. So sure. uh, I think they're going to be a team. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the Vikings won the North this year. And oh, I, really? I don't just – I don't say that lightly. I know Aaron Rodgers exists. Sure. I'll be interested to see if if Rodgers – the Lions? You're forgetting about our favorite knee biter here, thank you. Yeah. Hard knocks, baby. Hard knocks. 
I I think the Lions they're like the they're like the Pistons. They've been bad for so so long, and maybe they're they're no, finally, they've been bad their entire existence. They're <laughs> on the playing, but no, nah, the Lions aren't there yet. Um, maybe a couple of years, but sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Vikings have, I think, top to bottom, the most talented roster in in the division. Um, Aaron Rodgers <laughs> is a difference maker, um, but he lost Devontae, so I, I think right. So we'll see. The Lions don't matter right now. Cliff has a question. Can Dalvin stay healthy for a season for a change? Uh, you know, I think he he's a guy who has kind of got – it's like a misnomer that he's injury prone. He's only missed like eight games in the past three years. He does play hurt a lot. Sure. So he – we know he has the knee issues. We know he's, he's always you – know, you're worried that will that ACL pop again. He runs hard. He cuts hard. Like I understand the idea that he is an injury prone player. Um, and he's, he seems to constantly be suffering through like either shoulder sprains or like sternum bruise. Like he runs hard, but he, he plays through those injuries. I, I would say probably not. Like, will he be healthy for a whole season? Are we going to see him for 16, 17 games? No. Like we, mm-hmm. we rarely do with running backs in the NFL. Yeah. Now. So <laughs> no, I don't think he'll play the full schedule. Um, but I think he'll be available for a lion's share of the season when you need him. Um, lion's. We'll see. Lions, yeah. <laughs> what will it take for the uh, Vikings to win the division? Like uh, eleven and six would do. I think so. Yeah, I think eleven and six. That's that probably that seems fair. Um, mm-hmm. I think the team can get get to eleven wins. Um, you know, right. I am curious to see what the Packers do. Uh, you know, with Rodgers without uh, Devontae Adams for a change. Obviously, that receiving core is not exactly a, you know. Uh, put a scare in anybody's hearts right now. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the Lions. Uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, so you're a Lions fan? Are you a Lions fan or you just uh, happen to be somebody who knows Lions living in Detroit? Guy, born no, in Detroit. I no, I wasn't born in Detroit, but no, yes. I begrudgingly watch the Lions every season. <laughs> for better or for worse. Uh, okay. I mean, they had a very good draft. Uh, you know, I'm not yeah. going to lie. I mean, they drafted Aiden Hutchinson. And then I think, you know, you guys, the Lions, at least fleeced the, the Vikings with the 12th pick. And if Jamison uh, Williams <laughs> is healthy, that's a legit deep threat that the, that team has didn't have uh, for quite some time. I mean, right? Yeah. The, the Lions and Pistons actually kind of had similar drafts where they got, like, that team pick where you're like, oh, wow, okay, this is a uh... – you know, like the trade, like the outgoing stuff going on, like especially for the Lions, the Vikings, I was like, that's it. So, yeah, I mean, Jamison Williams looked good. I don't know. I haven't kind of like I haven't read anything in terms of he'll, if he'll be ready by training camp. But, yeah. you know, like I, I just think people, I mean, you know, if the Lions go like 6 and 11 or like 7 and 10, I think a lot of people in Detroit are going to be like, okay with that just because of like how bad it's been. <laughs> and it's just, it's just the idea of progress, I think, is the biggest thing. Like with the Lions, it's just like, They've had good seasons before. Like they were made the playoffs in 2011 and 2014. It should have won in 2014, but you know, we'll <laughs> talk about the refs. Um, but like they've had good seasons. They've had good players. Obviously, it's just like I mean, obviously there's alliance, Chris, but it was just like it was very fleeting in that you didn't really like you could see the path in terms of like they're a good player, but you couldn't just see like the sustainability. I guess is a good way to put it. And and sure. now with what they're building now, like I didn't love the Dan Campbell hire, but like I'm all about it now pretty much like i think he's he's exciting you know yeah. like i think hard like i'm honestly looking forward to hard knock just because like we're gonna get to see more dan campbell and that's gonna be just insanely entertaining like it'll be great right. entertainment values and like 
Quite only like, um, I don't know why you're putting the Falcons in there. The Falcons are like, they made the Super Bowl. That's way more than the Lions have ever done. But it's just well, like, well, I mean, except for those, uh, you know, appearances, uh, you know, in, in '98 and 2016, the Falcons historically have had the uh, pretty uh, meh, you know, period of uh, I mean, you know, disappointments. But hey, at least I, I get it. They made the playoffs. I know. That's I mean, the Lions haven't won a playoff game since '91. I was born. That was when I was negative six years old. So, you know, <laughs> beggars can't be cheaters. But yeah, I mean, it's just. The idea of the Lions is obviously you you have zero expectations for them. I've had zero expectations for them since like you know like high school, um, but you can see a path where they could be good, and I'll take that because we it, it just has not happened in years. You know what I mean? Like under Matt Patricia, you know that regime um, and Quinn and everything it was just like they were just like signing all these like former paths, and I'm like, why are we doing this? Like you know, it was just like it just wasn't a good time. So it's just. The idea that they could be good, it's good enough for me just because you never expect the Lions to be good. And who knows? Maybe they'll have a Bengals-like run where they make a Super Bowl. Then Dane will hear about it. Dane will hear too much about it if that happens. So <laughs> we, will, we will simply hope for six wins, seven wins, get rid of Jared Goff eventually, find the quarterback. And then by then, hopefully, Amon Ra, Jamison Williams, all those guys on offense will uh, be hitting their prime. So, but. <laughs> Always cautiously optimistic, but I always expect the worst for the Lions. They are <laughs> the worst. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be very interesting. You know, NFC North, um, you know, a lot of changes being made, obviously. Hopefully the Bears will be very, very competitive under Matt Eberflus. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, hard knocks. Uh, we're going to be very interesting. You know, Dan Campbell has a really crazy coffee regimen that uh, he drinks. And <laughs> I remember hearing that in a, that in a press conference and like how the hell this guy is still even alive drinking like <laughs> like a venti and then like a four shots of espresso or something like that that's like a heart attack waiting to happen and then yet he, the, the guy can still you know act functionally and you know still talk like a you know like a maniac so but, but obviously even if the lions aren't you know winning Dan Campbell obviously provides a you know great entertainment value mm-hmm. for that <laughs> I, I will take that one of the worst pro sports organizations <laughs> thing of the king is not what I think yeah, so. yeah well alright let's move on to the uh, the baseball um, Dane uh, you live in Minneapolis um, you know the twins obviously are in the same division as the White Sox uh, twins are doing pretty well decently um, you know they're at the top in the division you know the White Sox are kind of uh you know, floundering, you know, people are chanting, you know, Tony La Russa to be fired mm-hmm. uh, all the time. How do you see the uh, the Twins, uh, you know, competing right now? Can they run the table? And how do you view the uh, the dis- dysfunction that is the uh, Chicago White Sox from your Yeah, I just feel like the Twins are, like, they're playing well right now. They're playing as well as they – I think they're – they've optimized, like, the amount of games they've played. And because of that, they're atop the standings. All of that to say, like, I don't think it's sustainable. Like, I don't think the pitching staff that they've kind of pieced together with a bunch of guys who, like, used to be good that, like, hopefully we can make good again, like, is a sustainable model for success, like, over the course of the season. I get, like, the frustration in Chicago with the White Sox because this was supposed to be the year they popped. Yeah. But, like... I also feel like the White Sox put together two good weeks and they'll win the division. Like I don't, <laughs> like the Twins and the Cleveland Guardians 
not Indians. Cleveland Guardians are like not running away with this division. I think the division <laughs> also kind of cannibalizes itself to a degree. Um, Detroit is pretty much non-existent right now. I thought they were well, not as not as bad as the Royals. Though. That's true. The Royals are horrible. That's true. But Detroit was supposed to take a step, and I think maybe we'll have to wait till next year for that one. Um, yeah. It does feel to me though like. Chicago's the most talented team. I understand the frustration with the, you know, they, they, a lot of fans in Chicago, I still got friends that I grew up with, have been waiting for this team to finally materialize and realize their potential. Um, it's not happening yet. It's not happening fast enough. I, I understand why that's frustrating, but I still feel like like if you want to go put money on the, the White Sox to win the division, like that's not a bad idea because mm-hmm. I think if they get hot enough for – even if it's a short amount of time, like no one is running away with the AL Central right now. Yeah. Probably a dog fight to the very end, right? Yeah. All three teams maybe. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I the twins, they can hit um, I, I, the, the pitching at the end of the day. I know like credit their starting rotation. It, it's been better than expected. I just like, I don't think it's sustainable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other big story that's kind of uh, kind of flying under the radar right now, but eventually will probably be brought up at some point. Obviously, is the uh, the future of uh, Shohei Otani with the Angels. Um, I know the Angels fired Joe Madden. Uh, that hasn't done really much any significant difference uh, so far. You know, he's still you know putting up some decent numbers. Probably, you know, maybe hopefully the weather gets warmer and when the team is uh, you know playing better, maybe he'll do more better this year. Obviously, nowhere near as uh, probably as pro- prolific as last year. Um, there are some reports out of Japan that uh, you know the Mets are actually really, really ready to throw the you know the ba- you know break the bank. Obviously, they have a brand new ownership in uh, Steve Cohen, the fun guy. Um, you know they're throwing a lot of money to put together a real good team uh, in uh, the Big Apple. Um, where do you see Shohei Otani, you know, eventually, you know, he's a free agent next year. Um, do you see, you know, the Angels breaking the bank to keep him? Or, like, maybe he should probably bolt or demand a trade at some point? I want him to go to a different team. I, I don't like not watching Shohei Otani in the playoffs. So, yeah. <laughs> personally, speaking, I want to, you know, I don't know. Obviously, I'm sure he had, you know, his reasons. But, like, at, at some point, you got to get, like, there was there was the other day, right? Like when Shohei had like eight RBIs or something ridiculous against the Royals, and they still lost. Then the next day, he pitched like eight innings of like thirteen strikeout balls or something. This, like, I was at Fenway Park when he struck out. You know, I don't even remember like a dozen Red Sox or however many it was. You know, um, mm-hmm. and it's just like it's great watching that, but like sure. I, I prefer to see that in the playoffs. So like, yeah, at this point, like I thought this year was the Angels' year, obviously before they went on like that fourteen game. <laughs> losing streak or whatever, however long that was, and it was like, at some point you're kind of like, but like, like let's let's get the move on here. Like I, I'm yeah. trying to see the student in the playoffs. I'm like, it's clearly just not happening with the Angels. Like I'm, you know, like that's kind of the issue with Mike Trout, right? Like oh, yeah. you know, how many times have they made the playoffs with him? I think they got swept by the Royals, and that was pretty much it. So yeah. you know, like I just, I think you know. I don't think Dana or I know baseball enough to be like, he would be the perfect fit on this team. I think he would be a perfect fit on the Tigers just because he's a very good baseball player. So, mm-hmm. well, you know, I just want to see him in the playoffs. So, like, that's my biggest thing. Like, every, you know, obviously playoff baseball is awesome. And I want sure. to see Shohei Otani on that stage just because we haven't been able to see it yet. And I think, and I think that's a shame. 
That's true. That's true. Dane, what are your thoughts on uh, Shohei Otani's uh, future and uh, present and the future? Yeah, I think Suichi's spot on when he says, like, I don't know, like, the intricacies of baseball and each team enough to know where he'd fit. But, like, he's a guy who would literally fit anywhere because he's yeah. maybe the best baseball player of all time. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's fair to, like, say I, that might sound crazy to some listeners and whatever. But, like, dude is playing in an era where, like, everyone throws a hundred or, you know, the curveballs you know, jump from 12 to six. And like, he's doing, he's pitching, he's hitting, he's, he's doing it all at, at such a high level. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. He, he'd fit in anywhere on any team. Um, mm-hmm. if, if the Mets want to make a run at him and they can promise me that they're going to get Shohei Otani to the playoffs, like sign me up. Like <laughs> any, any team that can get me watching that dude in October, like, yeah, great. Because, um, you know, I know baseball is a little finicky and like one guy can't necessarily carry a franchise. Um, sure. Seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but the talent's being a little bit wasted right now. Um, I feel that way too. Yeah. You know, the angels have made so many bad, uh, you know, free agent, excuse me, decisions, you know, with the Albert Perholz 10 year two forty. If you remember, yeah. he never even finished that contract uh, before yeah. he got released. The Anthony Rendon uh, seven-year two forty-five million looks like another uh, bad, uh, you know, investment. Um, you know, the uh, Artie Moreno, the owner, is uh, kind of under uh, scrutiny right now because he made illegal con- contributions to the uh, Anaheim mayor, who ended up resigning and now under a FBI investigation into the uh, illegal uh, campaign uh, donations to his uh, re-election bid. Uh, you know, because they were involved in the uh, redevelopment of that uh, Anaheim Stadium er- er- area. So we'll see how that one goes. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I do feel that, uh, you know, there's part of Shohei probably wants to play in the playoffs. And he has stated in the uh, Japanese media many, many times that uh, that's he, that's all he cares about, winning and playing, uh, you know, winning championships. So if the Angels are nowhere near that, and right now they're nowhere near that, at some point maybe – you know, who knows? Maybe the Angels decide that to blow it up and start over again at some point, yeah. you know, as soon as maybe in July or this August. So it will be interesting to see how this one uh, unfolds and uh, where he goes as well. I'm going to change subject uh, for a little bit and, uh, you know, talk about, you know, LIV and the PGA. I, I, I don't know if you guys are uh, hardcore golfers or play golf at all, but Oh, you play golf, Dan? <laughs> I'm not very good, but I, 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 I do consume a lot of golf. Like okay, golf. okay. Oh, yeah. Then we all know the backstory, you know, the LIB backed by the uh, the Saudi print, you know, the Saudi government. You know, we all know about the Jamal Khashoggi uh, incident where the uh, the Saudi journalist was uh, beheaded by the, uh, the Saudi, uh, you know, the spies apparently in Turkey. And we all know the, you know, Phil Mickelson, you know, obviously <laughs> feeling the pressure and making uncomfortable remarks during the um, interview. Um, we all know it's a money grab. And and let's be real. This is just a money grab, no matter who who is behind it. And, you know, as a sport, uh, you know, reporter, journalist, you know, when, when, you, when you look at these guys, obviously bolting from PGA to LIB, you know, for an insane amount of money. What are your honest opinions about, you know, maybe players not being honest with the uh, the public or maybe not answering, you know, legitimate questions and, you know, not giving honest answers? And, and, and how do you feel about, you know, these guys not being upfront about, you know, 
This is just simply a money. You know, they want to help set their family up for good, you know, 10 years from 10, 15 years from now. You know, with Nicholson, obviously, he has a huge gambling debt. That's so that's a different story. And all we all know that. But uh, what are your honest feelings about, you know, uh, the LIV versus PGA, you know, where the end game is and all of this? Yeah, it feels dirty to me. Like the money's dirty. Like the league, you know, all of it seems like really unsustainable too. Like there's billions and billions of dollars right now being poured into different players across like different, you know, varying skill levels. All the money's dirty. It's coming from places that like, like we don't even know. And, you know, sports washing also becomes part of that too. Like they want to, you know, it's become a huge problem nowadays, not just guess. in the U.S., but from a global perspective, too. Right. Like, if we can make people care more about golf, like maybe they'll forget that, like, our politics are pretty screwed up. Um, mm-hmm. All that being said, like, I get it. I get why these players are taking the money. Like, I would like to think that I have the morals to not take that money. But if I was a bad golfer on tour and, yeah. and this league mm-hmm. was giving me – $25 million to just show up and like, doesn't even matter. I think last place gets like $400,000 in these tournaments. Like right. it's strictly a money grab and it's going to run out. And if you can cash in at that, that point, like, look, I would like to think that my morals would be like, no, I don't want to take that money. Like it's, you know, I don't, I don't want to work from, but if someone handed me $25 million, like I might feel different. So I get it. I understand <laughs> these players. Like, but uh, what, what bothers me is like, say it then you know don't 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 lie and say like you're trying to grow the game of golf and like oh you know there's just so much rhetoric rhetoric around this thing right now where people are dancing around like the idea of why did you go to live and everyone knows why you went to live for the money so don't you don't have to frame it anywhere as such like i think like i would almost have more respect for a guy if they came out and said like look i suck this and he was willing to give me $25 million. I'm never going to win on tour. Like I would be dumb not to take this. <laughs> without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, so you have any thoughts on this? Uh, not too much. I'm not as much of a golf fanatic, but mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast actually the other day talking about this. And, you know, I'm kind of with the same opinion of Dan where it's just like, sure, we can talk about morals and everything, but like when you're making, you know, I don't know, 20 grand a year or something, like you're not good. And you, you know, you get paid millions. Like, it is hard to say, and and maybe there is like a, you know, like a, like a way of going about it where you take the money, you know, twenty five million or whatever it is, and maybe you do some good with that, right? Like obviously it's coming from like a very morally, you know, corrupt source, but like maybe you can use that, you know, like they have the money anyway, so maybe you can go, you know, this isn't my take. I heard it on a podcast, um, one of my Michigan State podcasts, but uh, basically the idea is if you're gonna get dirty money, you might as well do something good with it because the dirty money is going to exist anyway. So you might as well get it. And maybe you can do that. And it goes back to the idea of Dane, right? Like what Dane said and kind of like be upfront about and take accountability of it. And I think I would have a lot more respect too if they did do that and they did something good with it, you know? So, hey, maybe you make 25 million, you do something good with 5 million, you know? That's a lot better than making, you know, less than a hundred grand on tour or whatever it is. So that's true, that's true. So, you know, sports is wonderful. You know, they provide us with so much entertainment. But on the, uh, the you know, the flip side, you know, we're starting to see some of the, uh, you know, the dirty and ugly side that, uh, you know, the players, the executives and, uh, you know, uh, you know, the organization like uh, IOC, FIFA, among others that are very, very corrupt and, uh, you know, run by the corrupt, uh, you know, individuals. 
and uh, you know we're starting to see some of the ugly side of it as well and you know obviously you guys are you know reporters and journalists obviously you know you guys are uh, have a you know obviously still young and obviously as you advance in your careers and cover different sports and uh, you know us and uh, and also internationally i'm sure you're going to hear a lot of these uh, stories and hopefully you guys will uh, you know uncover uh, you know uh, you know dirty secrets and uh, you know the uh, uh, you know uh, the dark side of it you know as you go on um, we're going to close out you know this uh, wonderful show by the way uh, Dane Mizutani from the Pioneer Press in Minnesota Soichi Terada the uh, the Boston Globe Celtics reporter joining us tonight on the double uh, only thing of that is I don't work for the Globe I work for Mass Live out here That's oh good. my apologies Mass Live no, you're good. Mass Live, yeah. <laughs> MassLive.com as well. Uh, Dane, you 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 work for the TwinCities.com? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. fine. For us, though, yes, right. Okay. okay, my apologies there. Uh, no, as well. <laughs> so we're going to close out the show. Obviously, about you know the reasons why you know I kind of started this show with uh, Ken, obviously to bring awareness of the uh, you know the AAPI racism. Uh, obviously, the the pandemic has brought onto our community. And also promote, uh, you know, people like you guys who work in an industry that, let's be honest, still lacks, um, you know, uh, you know, diversity, uh, not just in media, but also on the sports and entertainment side of it. Um, Dana, I, I want to ask you, you know, having uh, lived in Minnesota for, for a while, obviously you went through the, um, the George uh, Floyd trials and, uh, you know, the, uh, the angst in the city. Mm -hmm. um, can you share your, you know, feelings and experience, uh, what the city went through and, you know, kind of uh, see any correlation that, uh, you know, that us AAPI uh, communities can learn and uh, support, uh, you know, what the, you know, the African-Americans are dealing with in this country right now? Yeah, it was a really dark time in the city. And um, I think it was down to a lot of mistrust between not just like the police, but like the government at large, like, black and brown people are disproportionately affected in a negative way all over the country. But like in Minneapolis specifically, there are not just in Minnesota, like in Minneapolis specifically, there are parts of the city where like North Minneapolis is like, doesn't get funding and South Minneapolis and Southwest Minneapolis. Like this is the same city now, like are very you know, affluent and funded. And, and, and you can see where the money's being poured into and where it's not being poured into. So these communities that are continuously screwed over generationally, um, it's building. And, and you see something like George Floyd getting straight up murdered on video by a cop. What's going to happen? It's like, it's going to pop eventually. And that was just basically people saying like, we're sick of it, we're tired. Um, sure. And like, who cares about the buildings? Like who cares about target? Like burn down the target, whatever. Like, yeah these people are saying like, you won't listen to us. So we're going to make you. And I think that's what it boiled down to. And that's something I don't think I fully grasped until I got to see it happen in my city. Like mm -hmm. it's really easy to disassociate from it when you live in you know, Aurora, Illinois, and you see something happening on TV in whatever, whatever city it is. I couldn't turn away. I live in Minneapolis. So like it, it forces me to one, I think become like a better ally, listen to more about like what's going on, um, try and like use my voice and my platform to kind of 
speak out on things or like try and make a difference in whatever way I can. But it also forces you to like be uncomfortable and, and sure. feel what, you know, an iota of what the black and brown people are feeling every day. Um, I think that was like kind of the biggest takeaway from, from George Floyd for me. Um, I thought in a way too, it was, you saw communities rally around each other, which um, there were parts of that that was uplifting through the tragedy and all of that. Like you saw certain communities really come together. Uh, George Floyd Square, where he was murdered, is sure. still, it was a place for obviously a lot of hurt at the time where he was murdered at the slowly over the, the course of the past few years couple of years it's become a gathering place in that area of town that community and the city wanted to to clear it out um no, there's no traffic there's no road you know blockades and it's policed by the community and you know, they don't need the cops to come shoo people away like it's just like a safe place that the community has really taken um, as their own, as a place to heal and be mad or be sad or be whatever you want to feel within these combines of like the road. Um, it's been cool to see some of those things, you know, kind of transpire um, in, in, in the community at large, but then like seeing it kind of spread to a, a macro scale. Like, George Floyd changed the world, not just like it didn't, you know, it started here, but to watch it all spread sure. throughout the country, throughout the world. Um, and make people really listen for a change. Like I thought that was my biggest takeaway and, you know, it sucked to live through. Um, it wasn't like a comfortable thing. And, but I think that's kind of the point. Like it, you weren't supposed to be, you were supposed to feel uncomfortable in those times. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask both of you guys this question and, and, and we'll probably close out. Um, when we began our show, uh, at least when I started the show, you know, we had the, uh, uh, Mikey Chan from the Irish Wire, which is a uh, that Notre Dame, uh, you know, reporter uh, covering the uh, the Fighting Irish football. Um, we had this honest conversation that uh, you know people like uh, Mina Kimes and uh, you know Pablo Torre, both obviously, uh, you know, ESPN on on television regularly. You know, Mina especially during the uh, you know NFL season uh, in particular. Um, we both kind of agreed at, at, at that point. This was back in um, October of last year when we first did our show. We both kind of agreed that uh, neither one hasn't done a lot, you know, to raise awareness. I know, you know, here and there they're talking about it. But, you know, as as a sports reporter, obviously, in times like this, do you do you feel like that, you know, the the, the awareness has been raised or do you feel like, uh, you know, even with the. Uh, you know, Mina and Pablo's, uh, you know, presence, it has, it, it's just not enough yet, in your opinion. Uh, well, I think, you know, it's it's kind of, I think it's a little easy to just point out Mina and Pablo just because they're mostly on TV the most, I, I guess, you know. Um, but I think they've done, you know, just things. Like, I got lunch with Mina uh, a few years oh. ago, and that was pretty much just because I was, you know, a student at MSU, and I was like, hey, you know, can, can we grab lunch or coffee or something like that, you know? So, you know, like, I think it's just very difficult to ask, like, two people, especially the two most, like, you know, like, right, like, just because we say Mina and Pablo, but there are a ton of other very talented, you know, AAPI people working at ESPN, right? Like, 
You know, I was with Ohm for the NBA Finals. He covers the NBA. June covers, you know, baseball. He's very talented. Uh, Cassidy yeah, Hubbard is oftentimes, yes. you know, hosting and everything like that. So I just think, you know, it's it's a little easy to just point out to people and be like, why aren't you doing more? I think, you know, at the same time, they, you know, I'm sure they could, you know, maybe they'll say, I, you know, I'm not quite, you know, like I don't quite know how what they're doing on a day-to-day basis in terms of AAPI, you know. Um, support and outreach and all that kind of stuff but I'm sure you know they've kind of done what they have to do and, and I think that's the biggest thing right like you have to raise awareness but you also have to do your job and it's just a lot to ask from just two people and I think that's why it comes down to you know podcasts like this like myself Dane you know all of our friends like the group chat Dane mentioned right like there are a few Asian sports writers in that chat and we, we, we have these conversations oftentimes um, where we're talking about you know stop Asian hate and AAPI hate and all these things and then kind of the struggles too and i just think it takes time like these things take time right like we we see a spike in hate crime ever since covid started right like it's only been two years and, and really stop asian hate was what peaked last year right right around um after the atlanta incident and everything like that yeah. and it, it just takes time for people to realize like right like representation is important but it just takes time to realize like hey you know like these spike in hate crimes is not okay and all these things but it's just a lot, you know, I, I just, I just don't feel okay. I guess I, I, you know, like, I just think it's, it's so much to ask, right? Like I, I look at somebody like Jeremy Lin, for example, like when he, when the insanity happened, you know, that was awesome for me. Like I was a teenager and everything, but you could kind of tell he shied away from the spotlight and talking about this growing up Asian American, but he, he's really embraced that, you know, as he's gotten older and a little bit more wiser. And it's just one of those things that sure, you know, could they do a little bit more in the present day? I'm sure everybody can. I can, Dane can, you know, my friends can, um, but I think having those people in those uh, very prominent roles is still important, and, and it's cool to see that. And but like I said, like it's just hard to put it on two people, I guess, just because I think it's just like a thing everybody has to do, and you kind of go from there. Because like I said, it takes time to like for people to realize like kind of the struggles that we go through, and then you know, people need to be better allies. We need to be better allies, and it's just right. and it's it's just an all encompassing thing where I think everyone can kind of just work toward it. <laughs> yeah i think that's fair for sure like to put it on two people is tough I, I think like yeah they could probably be doing more so could we we could all be doing more um it's really easy to get kind of bogged down in our like day-to-day like i go cover this vikings practice i do this i go you know i go to you know shoot around and i cover the game and like and just to kind of go through that and i think representation on on a on a scale matters because i i, I just remember when i was a kid like you know, growing up in Aurora, Illinois, it, it wasn't like, the, it was pretty white. It was like pretty diverse generally in my high school, but like, I didn't have like a ton of like sports reporters to look up to when I was like a kid or like people that looked like me, like my dad was on TV. So that's why I wanted to be like in, in the media. Oh, I, your dad was a, a, like a what? A news reporter? Yeah. In, in Hawaii. I was born in Hawaii. And oh, okay. Okay. He was on TV for, you know, 20 years, but Ah, I think okay. the fact that Mina and, and Pablo exist like in that realm of like, sure, there's kids that are you know ten years old, eight years old that are flipping on TV and see Mina Kimes, like, oh, she looks like me. Like, I think that's important because I think there was a time in my life where I was like, you know, tried to be white, like, tried not to be, <laughs> tried to be anything yeah. that would blend in rather than like, I think in the past, however many years, I've gotten more proud of like standing out and being like this is who i am this is it's okay to be like this um so i think the fact that they even exist in that realm 
um, even if they're not every day, you know, going out on the front lines and protesting and, and doing this and that, like their presence and their existence. And then it, it, it expands beyond just those two. Like, I think all of that matters. Um, sure. To give us like role models to look up to. Um, the, mm-hmm. There's probably someone in Boston who reads Suichi and like sees his last name and is like, Oh, like I connect with this mm-hmm. I too. Like Japanese people could probably understand, like that's a Japanese name. Like I yeah. think all of this is like interconnected. Sure. And it's just about like finally like being able to be proud of who we are. And I think that was probably a hard thing for a long time. Like, Absolutely. Back to, like our parents' generation, like we, like I know for a fact, like they grew up in Hawaii, but they like wanted to blend in still. Like it wasn't about standing out. I feel like as a, as a whole, like API, like for a long time, we've been quiet, blend in, you know, be like as, you know, not of, of you know, on the outside as possible. Like, so I'm not being confrontational with this. And I think that's changing. And I think that's important that it's changing. Exactly. Exactly. You know, we, we, I call I, you know, there was a, obviously a movie Harold and Kumar, um, you know, Harold uh, referred to himself as, uh, you know, Twinkie, yellow on the outside, white on the inside. You know, that kind of resonated with me too, very, very well, you know, and and you told about, you know, try to blend in, you know, being white and everything. But, uh, you know, it does struck a chord with me, obviously. And, uh, you know, and that's why, you know, it's important that, uh, you know, I know uh, Aldo posted earlier, I know you probably guys saw saw it, you know, we don't know if, uh, you know, behind the scenes, uh, Pablo and uh, Mina, how much they're putting. Uh, behind the scenes, obviously. And I just hope that, uh, you know, Pablo and Mina don't get lost up. Uh, obviously, Mina being on the, uh, you know, the NFL, uh, you know, a show, uh, NFL Live on a daily basis during the uh, football season. I just hope that uh, she's not uh, feeling pressure or, you know, worry about losing her spot there, even even with her uh, rising prominence. This is very, very important. And, uh, you know, all three of us, obviously, you know, uh, being Asian Americans and, you uh, having this uh, opportunity to uh, discuss this on this platform, uh, you know, tonight was uh, really, really important. And uh, I want to thank uh, both Steven, of you. If I, if I can just very quickly add to that, sure, sure, sure. Go ahead. Uh, my, my comment on that, I think that the overall responsibility lies with the giant corporations who are making money off of all of us, Asian Americans, Hispanic Americans, you name it. And when they see, unjust actions against whatever group. It is, first of all, their responsibility. And I bet, I would almost bet a, a paycheck, although I'm retired, so my paychecks are very small, uh, but that Pablo and Mina have probably brought it to the attention of people at ESPN, and they're devising ways to keep this on the forefront with public service announcements. They've, I, I think that they've uh, done a really good job of bringing more Asian American voices to their channel. I think that there's a lot of stuff that uh, that ESPN is doing, but they shouldn't necessarily be pounding their chest because it's still not enough. Yeah. Uh, so uh, all of our employers, all of the people who are in control of wealth in this country, we need them to step up more than the individual personalities and asking them, in some cases, to put their jobs on the line. We, we all saw what happened to some ESPN personalities when they uh, began political, es- es- espousing political thoughts 
uh, and they were soon uh, released by ESPN, whether it was on the right with a Rush Limbaugh or uh, on the left uh, with uh, some of their African-American correspondents. So just wanted to add that. And uh, again, like people in the chat said, this has been a fantastic hour of sports talk and also a uh, few points on what is happening in our country. And I really, really appreciate both of you being on and Stephen uh, producing this entire show. So great, great job. Thank you very much, Aldo, for uh, speaking up. Um, you know, Cliff brought up a good point there. Um, you know, race isn't the issue, probably. It's just kind of like people in power want it to be. And and I kind of feel that, uh, you know, during this pandemic, I think that kind of exposed the flaw in our system, especially in our society. So on that note, and, uh, you know, we're going to keep on fighting. You know, Dame and obviously Soichi, they have a wonderful platform uh, in their uh, own rights. Dane writes for the TwinCities.com. So Ichi writes for the masslife.com. You can follow them on Twitter. You can see them uh, on their name next to it. Uh, you know, Dane, we, we probably would love to have you back, you know, obviously when we do the uh, Vikings preview, when the Bears yeah, play yeah. each other, obviously, well, or when we do the uh, NFL preview shows. So Ichi, thank you so much. Uh, you know, good luck to you covering the, uh, you know, uh, the Boston Celtics. Obviously, they're going to be a real good team, and hopefully they'll probably be run back and become a champion, you know, before you leave the beat, you know, the beat, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to enjoy your, uh, you know, moment of, uh, you know, victory and everything. Guys, I want to thank you guys uh, for, you know, spending almost 90 minutes with us tonight, and uh, we hope to have you back on again, and we look forward to your uh, continued success and uh, keeping in touch. Thank you so much, guys. Thank yeah, you. thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Zim, Joe, Vinny, and Gonzo. Join these White Sox fanatics every Monday night for the South Burbs Hitmen. You're going to be treated to great guests, top analysis, smart debates. South Burbs Hitmen with Zim, Joe, Benny, and Gonzo only on the Barroom Network. And the South Burbs hitmen are coming up uh, right after this show within uh, probably in a minute or two from now. So I want to thank uh, each and every one of you for joining us tonight. And uh, Aldo, really thank you for doing the, uh, the dual duty uh, for, uh, you know, producing and uh, chiming in and, you know, giving us uh, fantastic uh, comments toward the end. Oh, you're the producer. You set up the guests. You set up the topics. You're doing all the producing. All I do is a little directing in the end. Uh, uh, and try not to screw things up like I did just before that commercial break. So, <laughs> no, 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 no. It apologies happens. for that, but no, no, you no, deserve no. all the credit, Stephen. Great job. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you guys all in two weeks, uh, a week after 4th of July. I hope each and every one of you have a wonderful 4th of July. Please stay safe out there, and uh, we hope to uh, see you all in two weeks, and uh, we hope to have a, another wonderful guest and uh, have a very interesting conversation. Thank you all and have a great night, everybody. Goodbye.